This is the Regular Pastor Podcast, a podcast devoted to regular pastors and regular churches. That means mega church pastors and churches need not apply. My name is Landon Coleman. I'm a regular pastor at Emanuel Baptist Church in Odessa, Texas. You have fallen into the rabbit hole that is season four of the Regular Pastor Podcast. Here in season four, we're talking about books. And we're talking about ideas, and we're trying to think through books and the ideas in those books and apply all of that to the ministry of regular pastors. This week on the Regular Pastor Podcast, I want to talk to you about a book called Irreversible Damage. The subtitle reads, The Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters. The author is Abigail Schreier. Publisher is Regnery Publishing, a conservative publishing house. The book was published in 2020. Uh, this book is about 260 pages. It has an introduction, 11 chapters, and an afterword. A little bit about the author, Abigail Schreier. She writes for the Wall Street Journal. She is uh, highly educated. She has degrees from Columbia College, University of Oxford, and Yale Law School. Uh, by profession, she's a journalist. As you read the book, it pretty clear that she does not object to the LGB of the LGBTQ plus panoply. She does not seem to object to adults uh, who want to identify as trans, that is adults who want to identify as trans, and she doesn't even seem to object to adults who want to pursue gender reassignment surgery. Uh, She is absolutely hated by the broader LGBTQ plus community. And if you look at the GLAD Accountability Project online, she has a lovely mugshot and a wanted poster. Uh, She is not viewed as friendly to the LGBTQ movement, which is interesting because she doesn't object to most of what the movement stands for. At least she doesn't seem to. So how did she become this public enemy uh, of the LGBTQ community, and how did she come to write this book called Irreversible Damage? So the big idea, the summary of the book, in recent years, there has been an absolute explosion of teenage girls identifying as trans, and it's been fed by the broader cultural climate and by social media uh, online, Reddit boards, Tumblr, uh, online forums, et cetera, et cetera. It's just an explosion of specifically young girls identifying as trans, and it it flies in the face of all historical trends where that is not historically the main demographic identifying as trans. And Schreier argues that it's only explainable as a craze, and she doesn't mean that in a derogatory sense. She means it in the sociological sense where it's an idea that is spreading through social contagion, particularly online. Uh, She also argues that the medical community has completely abdicated its role in diagnosing mental illness, and it has adopted and even has begun to mandate a posture of unconditional affirmation of these young girls who are convinced that they're trans. And so what that means for most of these young girls is that without much counseling at all, they receive testosterone, they receive hormone treatments, they receive uh, new pronouns, they uh, are encouraged to bind, and then even even carrying out top and bottom surgery for these young ladies. So uh, it's a, an interesting book written from the perspective of somebody who doesn't object to most of the LGBTQ 
plus issues, but does see that there's a serious issue with the T, the trans uh, question, particularly with young girls. So if I had to pull out a couple of important ideas from this book, here's, here's several that I would mention. One of the things that Schreier finds through her research is that most of the teenage girls identifying as trans are white upper-class girls, meaning they are not oppressed uh, young ladies, but their identity as trans gives them immediate access to an intersectional claim of oppression and victimization. And so in that sense, the whole craze is being fed by critical theory and intersectionality uh, and all the rest. Schreier doesn't really explore this line of thought much, but it seems like a pretty obvious uh, conclusion that the broader acceptance of critical theory and intersectionality is part of the motivation for these white upper-class young women to identify as trans. Instantly, they become an oppressed minority. Uh, Another interesting uh, thing in the book, another important idea is the idea of rapid-onset gender dysphoria. Rapid-onset gender dysphoria. She talks about this on uh, page 37. She talks about 90% uh, of, of... those who are diagnosed with this are white. 80% of them are female. So again, we're back to white females. Average age of person diagnosed with rapid onset gender dysphoria is age 16.4 years. Most of these girls experience no childhood gender dysphoria. And the majority of them also had one or more Uh, psychiatric diagnosis of mental illness. That may be depression or anxiety or any number of things. 70% of these girls had a friend recently come out as trans. 65% of these girls had increased their social media use uh, in the the recent past. 60%, a majority said that uh, popularity increased for them after they identified as trans. 85% of them said that their parents supported LGBTQ rights. Fewer than 13% of the parents of these girls said that the mental health of their child improved after coming out as trans, which is just a shocking stat. So you've got all these young girls coming out, identifying as trans for lots of obvious reasons, at least it seems obvious reasons, and only 13% of their parents say that the mental health of their child improved after they came out. Another shocking thing that you'll find in this book is that schools, middle schools, high schools, colleges, universities, they are enabling and promoting transition for these young ladies. They are not questioning it on any level, and they are actively working at all those levels of education. They are actively working to exclude parents from the life-altering, irreversible decisions that these kids make. Uh, Studies show that most children who experience gender dysphoria and is reasonably common, most of those children outgrow it with time and with counseling. Uh, Studies also show that many who pursue transition to one degree or another end up detransitioning, which is something that doesn't get a lot of attention online, and people are often incredibly hateful to detransitioners and try to marginalize their voices, but they're out there and they are not uncommon. My favorite quote from the book, if I had to pull one out, comes from page 108. Schreier's talking about the fact that studies show that children who take puberty blockers, and yes, that's a thing, children who have gender dysphoria are often put on puberty blockers. 
studies show that most of those children who take puberty blockers almost always go on to take cross-sex hormones, meaning guys take estrogen, girls take testosterone, and they continue the transitioning process. So the advocates of the LGBTQ uh, mindset say, look, this is proof that kids know who they are. And once you delay puberty, they typically go on to uh, to pursue transitioning uh, later in life. So here's what Schreier says on page 108. She says, it proves, right, this preponderance of children, this majority of children that continue transitioning once they take puberty blockers. It proves that if you medically halt a kid's puberty so they do not obtain secondary sex characteristics while also socially affirming their new gender identity, that adolescent will be less likely to later reverse the course. In other words, it's the ultimate example of social pressure and confirmation bias at work. It is not proof that kids know what their true gender is and that it contradicts their biological sex and that we ought to always listen uncritically to children. That's a ridiculous conclusion. The conclusion is if you delay, you medically delay the onset of puberty and you begin to treat these children as if they're the opposite gender, that yes, they feel great pressure to continue taking cross-sex hormones and to continue the transitioning process. When you think about the ministry of a regular pastor, what is this book? It's written by uh, somebody who disagrees with regular pastors like myself on a lot of issues. What is the ministry takeaway of this book? And I, I think it's page 216 where Schreier simply says, girls are different. She does not seem to hold to a biblical worldview. Uh, her research does seem to be fairly honest, and her concern for young women is genuine. And all of that's led her to a pretty biblical conclusion. is that boys and girls are not the same. They are not interchangeable. You cannot simply provide estrogen or testosterone and a surgery and change, change someone's gender or sex. And Christians, especially pastors, don't have to be embarrassed when we simply agree with Schreier's conclusion and we say girls are different than boys. Boys are different than girls. That's part of a biblical Christian worldview. We have the truth of the biblical worldview on our side. Male and female is a binary, that our gender uh, is connected to our biological sex, and that male and female are made in the image of God, and that they are complementary in their roles and their makeup. They are not interchangeable. If I had any critique of the book, I would just say uh, that Schreier says enough uh, she goes far enough to make herself a pariah in the LGBTQ community because she questions this uh, uncritical acceptance of trans identification in young girls. So that's a positive. She's questioning that. But really in the book, there's no hope offered uh, by a biblical worldview, and there's no hope at all offered by the gospel of Jesus Christ, where ultimately we all ought to find our true identity, not just as image bearers, but as followers of Jesus Christ. So if you look this book up on Goodreads, the rating is 3.98. Part of me wanted to give it a 4 because it does not speak from a biblical worldview, but it's really well written and it's really well researched and the conclusions are really sound and solid, and so I gave it a a 5-star rating on Goodreads. I think this is a book that pastors and parents ought to read. 
there's parts that are not the easiest to read. There's parts that are pretty disturbing to read uh, if you if you approach the book from a biblical worldview. Uh, but it is critically important that parents and pastors are passing down a biblical worldview to your children. And it is important that parents be parents, not enablers. It's important that we are aware of the context in which we live and the schools that we're sending our kids to and the laws that are being passed, uh, maybe not necessarily in the United States, but in some states and in nations like Canada and Western Europe. I would also hope, in addition to Christian parents and and pastors, evangelical pastors, I would hope that LGBTQ plus advocates would stop and think about the damage that's being done in the absence of science to affirm these girls, many of whom are confused and need counseling and need therapy, uh, but what they don't need is hormone treatment and surgery. Uh, that brings you to the, the title of the book. This is irreversible damage being done to many of these young ladies. So it's a, a fascinating book. Uh, it's been a very controversial book and maybe one that you want to check out and read for yourself. Thanks for listening to the Regular Pastor Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for weekly episodes here uh, in Season 4. Thanks in advance for giving us a top rating. Uh, wherever you're listening, you can follow Regular Pastor online at regularpastor.com. You can find me, Landon Coleman, on Goodreads. If you have a book recommendation or request, I would love to know about it. Uh, I'd love to read it, love to possibly review it and talk about it here uh, on the Regular Pastor Podcast. You can email me those recommendations at Landon at EmmanuelOdessa.com. Until next week, this is the Regular Pastor, out. Out.